Hey now, welcome to the dirty side of the track, America's leading Formula One podcast. I'm Brian, that's Rob. Welcome everybody, we have an awesome episode for you today. Rob, tell everyone what to expect. Well, what to expect this week is not a lot of news, because it's all kind of slowing down, but we've done our best, we've been out there, we've uh, we've researched, we've found some bangers of some stories for you. I mean, we are um, becoming journalists, right? Oh, basically, mean, we yeah. are. And, and if the news doesn't exist, we make it up. Should we um, get, like, cards? Like, a picture <laughs> of us in a trench coat says, journalist. <laughs> Uh, and then once we've kind of got through that, it will be uh, the normal dip into what Brian's found in the world of videos. Um, then also our main thing this week is going to be our kind of F1 2023 digest, as we're calling it. Uh, a quick kind of scene setter of we're really not that far away from the car reveals coming in, uh, which will then mean we're not far away from testing, which then really means we're into season proper. So it's a quick cheat sheet of kind of uh, the lineups, uh, the calendar, the rule changes, because there have been a few, and some other bits and pieces that we found while we were scouring the world of the, uh, of the internet for content. Rob, did you know that two days from now, as of this recording, Tuesday, January 10th, it is the F1 winter solstice? Were you aware of it? No. It's the midpoint between the last race and the next race. So oh, as what, of so Tuesday, we will be on the downslope right into the next race. I'm not even counting testing. Testing is gravy. I'm saying race to race. <laughs> testing is gravy. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's not. So one of these big, big things that came out this week, one of the few things that came out this week was uh, obviously Andretti came out with their announcement that they were partnering with GM and specifically Cadillac to team up for their F1 entry. Um, and it generated this very bizarre kind of blowback on Twitter. P p some people very excited, partially kind of pumped. Some people like, why? And I would just say I didn't give it two thoughts. I saw it. I'm like, yeah, great. See if it happens. Until this morning, Sunday the 8th, um, Mohammed Ben Suleiman, the F1 FIA president, president, wrote a note and tweeted it out, quote, it is surprising that there's been some adverse reaction to the at Cadillac and at follow Andretti News. The at FIA has accepted the entry to smaller successful organizations in recent years. We should be encouraging prospective F1 entries from global manufacturers like at GM and thoroughbred racers like Andretti and others. Interest from teams in growth markets, growth markets, adds diversity and broadens at F1's appeal, end quote. So, so apparently the president didn't like a lot of this negative reaction, huh, Rob? Yeah, I mean, look, we've, we've touched on it before. We felt we touched on it last year when we were building up to Miami, and no doubt we will touch on it again when we build up to Vegas this year, which is that, as much as it pains me to say, as, as being from across the pond, um, there is a bigger anti-American uh, feeling in some areas of the fan community, like it's this European club that shouldn't be allowed to have the loud, brash uh, guys from across the pond come barging into. I wonder if there's a little bit of fear that they would be successful, because at the moment you can kind of go, well, you know, America's got Miami and they like to put fake marinas in. They've got the Haas team <laughs> that don't really win anything. Uh, and I wonder if there's a little bit of kind of... Uh, Jeez, what if they get like a proper team going? And what if Logan Sargent turns out to be a good driver? And I, I just don't get it. They're just this kind of... You, I just trawled through some of the Twitter comments and I just gave up in the end because it's like, I don't see anything wrong with this. So I want to talk about another aspect to this in a second, but what's your thoughts on kind of the, the reasons for the pushback to this that you saw? Um, two things I would mention. So first, the pushback. I think it's because people didn't want to take it seriously when it was Andretti and his weirdo tweet press release. They didn't want it right. I mean, we check all the boxes. Um, they didn't want to take it seriously. Uh, not even beyond that. I think when they when they saw Cadillac and Cadillac, known for making Luxo barges, and I don't just mean the Escalade, which comes in like nine flavors of Escalade: extra long, extra short, partial hybrid. How do you get a partial hybrid Escalade? Would like you get like nine miles per gallon instead of eight? Um, I, I think there's just pushback on, on the idea as, as a whole. And maybe it's anti-American. Maybe it just doesn't pass sort of the sniff test for a lot of people. And that's where I was. Like, does this really make sense? Until, as I said last week, I really believe the Mark Walter, the thing we, we saw that, and I'm not going to say we uncovered because we found it in the news, but it wasn't getting and still isn't getting a lot of press. The billionaire who owns the Dodgers, who runs Guggenheim Investments, which is a humongous company. I think that actually makes this very, very real. And 
great if GM wants to put Cadillac front and center to change the reputation of their cars a bit. And we'll talk more about this in a second. Um, great. But I think this is real now. And I think people need to get, get over it. This is a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this is a real, honest application at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. <clears throat> and that's the second point that I was going to make was about the, the imaging. It's like uh, I kind of did the uh, sanity test on my wife. I was like, if I say the word Cadillac to you, what springs into your head? And she's kind of like, oh, big comfy armchair on wheels. It's <laughs> like, and, and they do have this reputation. And I went digging because I'm sure Cadillac have got some uh, racing heritage. And kind of you put in uh, Cadillac hypercar or endurance car or anything like that into Google and you'd be amazed at what comes back. There is like this amazing kind of Le Mans style Batmobile uh, hypercar that they do, which is fantastic. And it makes a lot of sense that they want to put Cadillac front and center because... Mercedes really did the same kind of thing when they came into the sport. Now, I'm not saying a Mercedes conjured up like an old man car, but actually Mercedes was that kind of executive uh, car that people either had a BMW or, or a Mercedes, and it was big and it was comfortable, and Jeremy Clarkson loved it, and uh, it was that kind of, you know, the exec car. And then Mercedes got into F1, uh, and the AMG range really started getting more kind of focus. And, and now Mercedes really becomes synonymous with sports cars, I think, a lot because of the F1 side of the shop. So it makes sense that if you're trying to convert the Cadillac image away from the general public from just being armchairs on wheels and you want to be seen as being a kind of a sports uh, manufacturer as well, then this makes a lot of sense as well. So I agree with everything you said, and I have a little problem with it because I thought a lot about this, and I have an AMG. And when I would drop my daughter off at, at uh, preschool one time, there was a Cadillac CTSV. This is years ago. The CTSV, which is a proper, you know, looks like a grocery getter, but it turns out it's a, you know, speedster, uh, dropping his kid off. And we kind of looked at each other. We connected eyes across the parking lot because I'm in my C-Class, which looks like a C-Class, and he's in a CTSV, which looks like it looks a C CTS. And... But both of us have, you know, 500 some odd almost horsepower, give or take him a little over, me a little under. And we kind of like, all right, it's on. And so we left the parking lot and, you know, raced down the road a little bit. The point is, I know what you're trying to say. And I know Cadillac makes amazing cars. My buddy has one of those black wings, a CTS-6 black wing is one of two in Canada. Faster than you can believe. It is a, is a rocket ship. And you're right, they make cars. However, Lexus made arguably the greatest sports car of the last 20 years. One of the top four in the LFA. Just, I, I've never even been in one. I've seen them. I've been around them. I would, if any listeners anywhere in, in remotely in the Chicagoland area know an LFA, have an LFA, and I'm allowed to ride in one, sign, call us. But it, one of the arguably greatest cars ever made. It revved so fast it needed the Nissan GTR, you know, digital tech because a needle couldn't keep up. An amazing V10. They engineered it twice. They built it once and then wanted to redo it as carbon fiber. Redid the whole car. They charged 350, 400,000 per car. Lost money on every one. And Lexus is still basically a wooden steering wheel car driven by old people at this point. Because they didn't get into F1. So thank you for proving my point. There we Toyota go. Toyota was it's in all, F1 it's before. All, uh, yeah, but this is the problem. Lexus did such a good... It is... Lexus is the executive version of Toyotas, right? Yeah, that's why it's I said Toyota two, right? was before. So, yeah. so they did such a good job of... They wanted to launch an executive brand and Toyota wasn't going to get taken seriously because it was the little car to, to... So they did such a good job of putting that wedge in people's brains between Toyota and Lexus that when Toyota are in no. F1, no one, no one joins it no. to, to Lexus. Lexus made just a halo car and it didn't change enough of the perception. So I don't think Cadillac getting into F1 is going to change what people view as Cadillac, unless they go long and have success. Uh, well, exactly, that's what, and that's what I'm saying, because it's all about a long-term branding exercise, right? Lexus did nothing to, as far, and you know, I'm the litmus test here. I've never even heard of that car that you mentioned. Never and heard I've of an never even, I would never even associate Lexus with sports, oh. because they're not in anything oh. sport-wise. They're, 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 as far as I'm aware of, they, in, my, in my kind of like sphere of visibility, Lexus do not appear on anything related to, uh, related to sports, and neither do Cadillac. I was 100% in the same boat as my wife that they make armchair cars. When I Googled it and found that Batmobile, I was actually shocked. Now, if they go and have, like you say, they can't come last. They can't kind of buy the scraps of a Williams team and just poodle around the back and come in last right. because they will just perpetuate the armchair car. But if they came in and did semi-decently... It takes a little bit of time, but public perception starts switching, associating Cadillac with being a racing team first who happen to make comfy cars as well, versus at the moment, it's definitely the other way around. 
We'll wind out. Yeah, we will. If they even get to join the grid. So. Correct. I mean, one of the things going around there was that um, I saw something saying, watch this space for Alpha Tauri uh, withdrawing from the sport and this, uh, this lot taking this space. And then... Um, uh, Audi, not Audi. Oh, who else was it to pick up? Who else is rumored to be coming in to pick up the scraps of the Williams team and have that one rebranded? Porsche but, uh, was at one point. Yeah, it might, maybe, maybe. So, because everyone keeps saying there's no more room on the grid for right. extra cars. So, hmm? there used to be more than twenty. Well, there's space. Yeah, you're going back a long time that there used to be. So, I don't know. The cars are bigger. People bring more kit with them now. Paul keeps saying how cramped a lot of the racetracks are. So if you did go to more than 20 cars, would that mean we would have to lose uh, a heap of tracks off the uh, off the calendar? A, and if you really want to go down the tinfoil hat brigade, for some of these ones that are iconic but at risk of being dropped, if you bring the grid up to 22, 24 cars and say, hey, we'd love to keep you, but your facility isn't big enough, let's go and build a brand new shiny one out in the <clears throat> somewhere else in the Far East, maybe. Uh, maybe that's a way of getting some of the tracks off the calendar, but... I heard Paul Ricard is space for 26. So oh, can God. Go back. Just kidding. Just <laughs> Don't joking. tell Pit Lane Paul that. <laughs> that anyway, so that was, I mean, we've spent like, what, 10, 15 minutes talking about that because that literally was the main thing that happened this week. Um, let's just rattle through the other pieces that we've got. We added McLaren joined the launch date brigade. So last week we mentioned the launch dates of the card that we, we already had. We had AlphaTauri, Aston Martin, Ferrari, Alpine had all uh, come to the party with their dates, I think. I think Alpine's no. is new as well. Is Alpine's new? No, I definitely fair. published four. I'm going to tell you this. Okay. I updated the image that I published to our Instagram account this morning, well, and I only had to add one pod, extra date. Since pod, it might not uh, have been. No, I'm sure we had four last week on the pod. Well. Anyway, McLaren, 13th of February uh, is when they're going to bring theirs to, to the world. This week also was Lewis Hamilton's birthday, and why not quick, quick hit a few uh, stats about Lewis? <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. It's nice to have that back. Um, so Lewis has won one third of the races started. He's finished P1 or P2 in half, half of his races. He's been on the podium six out of 10 times and in the top 10, almost nine out of 10 times, um, only nine times, which is 3% as he finished outside the top 10. He's always been in the top six in the World Drivers Championship. I actually think this year was six, which was his lowest, if I remember right. And he scored, and we'll talk about this in a minute, 4.4 thousand points. Um, how many was... um, How many times has he finished P1 or P2 in his career? Half. <laughs> and so uh, at, at, underscore, at F1 underscore charts had a great visualization of his career at Mercedes and McLaren. And it's just, it's epic. And uh, you should you should go check that out. I thought it was great. But happy birthday uh, to Lewis. And then one other piece of news, and I don't know this. So here we go. I'm rolling in with something I don't have the answer to. And Rob, maybe you know. But Fernando Alonso tweeted out this week a picture of Stoffel Van Doren standing in front of the Aston Martin uh, facility. And he wrote, top. And so the question I have is, is, is Stoffel Van Doren the reserve driver at Aston Martin? I don't know. I, I don't saw either. you put this on here and I was like, is is it just he had a day out at the uh, at the factory and they gave him a free jacket to wear around? I mean, is it, or is he the, actually? Is, I mean, is it Formula E? I don't know. I don't know. And the, but the reason I bring this up is I was having a discussion with someone this week at dinner about Formula One and Drive to Survive came up and one of the people at the table seemed to know everything about Drive to Survive and I had to just ask, have you ever heard of Grand Prix Driver? And there was a blank. And I said, yeah, so before, and then I had to out-nerd somebody. And so there was a, an Amazon series before the Netflix series, and it was about McLaren, and it was Fernando and Stoffel. And it was narrated by Michael Douglas. And You've never mentioned this before on the podcast. I know, I haven't. And so, have I ever mentioned we had Jack Villeneuve on here? And so then, uh, so the person, like, I should go watch it. I said, actually, don't. It's not that great. But anyway, so it's, I saw it's, it's the and card Fernando that you always just... play when you want to out nerd anybody Correct. about Drive to Survive. It's like hundred percent. <laughs> Are you familiar with Grand Prix Driver? <laughs> oh man! And then I'm, one last one here that I'd bring up is earlier this week um, we lost Ken Block of sort of Rallycross American Hooning fame, Hoonigan Jim Kana. If none of that makes sense to you, we'll put a video out. He could take a car and he you know, made rally type cars, but he could do anything with them. And he went anywhere with them. 
uh, one of my favorite videos he ever put out was Gymkhana 5, which he basically goes to San Francisco, closes down a portion of it, and just hoons the hell out of this car. And he had old Mustangs that he ripped up and, and just even new Fiestas. Um, he passed way too early. And uh, he, the stuff he did in cars for an American who grew up in America, didn't really know a lot about rally, watched him. Um, just a, a, a tragic loss. His daughter was getting into cars as well. She was somewhere in the late teens, I think, and had her own cars and was making videos with her dad. And I'm like, man, this is just a, a guy who was lost too soon. And everybody who talked about him talked about what an amazing guy he was. So rip to Ken Block. I will miss his videos, but we'll post this one, in particular the San Francisco one on our, on the feed. Yeah, we'll put it in the we'll put it in the show notes along the other ones that will will come up too soon. In fact, very soon because I think the the last thing that uh, we had on here was Haas released their new logo. Uh, now they've got their title, or not title sponsor, sponsor MoneyGram. Um, I kind of like what they did. I, did I like too. where they hid the uh, MoneyGram logo. Also, yeah. it's, well, hid but hid without hiding, if that makes sense. It's not in your face. It's just that if you've seen it, it's the kind of nice little MoneyGram logo at the side of the Haas logo. Um, maybe we'll put it on the Instagram account so you can take a look at it. But I thought that was pretty clever. Don't really get the hate it was getting. I don't either. I don't understand it at all. I thought it was fine. I'm not a graphic designer, but it didn't offend me at all. And uh, hey, Rob, exactly. why don't you start with the videos this week? Because there's one that we both loved, and, and we'll shout out where we fit it to. Well, I will, because it's the only one that I watched this week. So uh, if, we, if I don't do this one, then I'm just going to nod along with the rest that you do, which I normally do anyway. We're going to have to come up with, we've got sap stats, we've got Vale's Tales. I need to come up with something which is your handle for your video finding skills. But just we'll, a we'll, nerd we'll. doing his nerdery with team radio and videos. But I, Yeah, there's got to be a better, snappier title than that. Anyway. On our Discord channel, uh, Lee shared uh, a video by the Data Dudes, which is, it's simplicity defined, but utterly mesmerizing. I didn't even realize how long the video was, and I just watched the whole thing. And what it is, is they've taken uh, every single race in history of F1, and they've gone back through it, and they've assigned out what if all the points given out to everybody ever were the same point scoring structure as we have now. So 25 points for a win, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's just a rolling uh, bar chart. Um, that just, you've probably seen these types of things before. It's just a, a graph that kind of uh, refreshes itself as these points accumulate. So it starts way back with uh, in the 1950s. So you've got all the drivers from the 50s there accumulating their points. And then as you come into different eras, you're, especially for me, kind of watching, waiting for kind of Senna to come onto the horizon. Mm -hmm. Actually, yep. no, sorry, wind back one, even Jim Clark. All of a sudden, you'll see a new name appear at the bottom of the grid as they win, uh, graph as they win their first points. And then they'll go rocketing up as they're obviously the successful drivers. So you're just watching kind of these drivers throughout history as they kind of come on board uh, start dominating um, the two saddest ones are Clark and Senna for me where you see these lines rocketing up and then obviously they just stop never to have another point added to them uh, obviously aligning with uh, their unfortunate passing away in the sport but then you're just waiting for kind of then especially for me kind of waiting for Schumacher to come to the party and then all the drivers that we know now I won't give it away I, w I was actually surprised uh, with the points Standing. Me too. You've already mentioned that uh, Hamilton had 4.4 thousand. I'm not going to say where that is. Obviously, we can all guess it's pretty much up at the top. Um, but there were other drivers that I thought when they equalized out the points and who had longevity in the sport might have been up there. Uh, or might, might have been. Oh, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> well, actually, I might have misspoke. I think it was 4.7 uh, for Lewis. But anyway, yeah, I don't want to give anything away either. Seven minutes. Great video. Check it out. I loved this video so much. Um, and like you said, watching the older drivers, you know, trying to change as the newer ones came on, um, I was surprised by some of the names near the top. I liked watching as well. They had the nationality, the flag next to each one. Yes. I'm like, holy cow, look at all the Brazilians on here. Um, and then you see the Germans and all the Finns and anyway. Um, so the one thing I took away from this, because stats, you know, beget stats, beget stats, is I was wondering, you know, there were only like 10 races in the 50s a year and there's 22 23 maybe 24 next year so there's also more point scoring opportunities true i like the fact they normalized points per race i almost wish data dudes and maybe we should send them a note um and say hey could you do one like points per race times number of races run or some some kind of way to kind of say all right how many points did they have if they'd all raced you know a similar amount um and i don't know what i'm trying to get at but it just you know someone who has longevity 
in a time when there are 20 races a year and they run for 20 years is far different than someone who raced for 10 years at 10 races a year. Exactly, yeah. I mean, so it was the one thing it couldn't really uh, equalize out. Or they, yeah, I don't know how you would. I don't so. either, but I'm happy to brainstorm data, dudes. Give me a call. <laughs> um, so then there were a couple other videos to highlight uh, this week. I would start with a channel I'd not found before, Silver Alicia F1. Um, every 2023 F1 driver's biggest crash. It was interesting to watch. I disagreed with a few of them. It was six minutes. It was a great video. They had for George and Valtteri the same uh, crash at Imola when they hit each other when George yeah. was last year at Williams. I actually think Valtteri's shunt in Mexico was worse. Maybe we should send him a note or have Paul ask him. Um, because remember that when he was riding the wall in Mexico and the barriers came out of nowhere, like he lost it uh, towards oh, the straight, yeah. and he went head on into the the stop the you know the front part of the barrier and stopped abruptly. I always thought that was was worse. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if you've mentioned it, but uh, when we had Jack Villeneuve on the show, um, we talked about kind of which crashes are worse: the ones that look spectacular or the ones that don't. Because the ones when you just thud and stop, uh, actually, which is are, what this was. Yeah, the ones that actually thud and stop are way worse than the ones where you kind of spin around in circles and carbon fiber goes everywhere. That looks fantastic for the effect, but actually is less impactful on the driver. So yeah, Paul, if you can have a word with Valtteri and just get him to validate uh, probably which neither worse crash. Yeah, Brian votes Mexico looked worse than uh, Imola. <laughs> and, but... and I hate to agree with you, but I would agree. Yeah. And then the last video, which was curious to me, was Battle on the Beach with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz of Scuderia Ferrari on the Shell channel. So once again, back to... a. Uh, uh, an oil producer's channel, 14 minutes, not bad. Check it out. Two questions, though. It's hosted by Lizzie McIntosh. And we've talked about her a couple times on here in some of her unique videos. Now she's gone mainstream. She's hosting for Shell. Nice work, Lizzie. I'm like, kudos to you. It can uh, you tell us how you did that? So we yeah, can that's what I was waiting for. Get in on yeah. some of that action. So like next time, you know, golf wants to host a video, they call the dirty side, guys. Uh, but anyway, great job by Lizzie. It was awesome to watch. The curious part was they were at the Shell Beach House in Zandvoort. Did they record this in the summer and then hold it in the vault until the new year? They must have, right? Oh, I would see, seriously doubt they're on the beach right now in Zandvoort. <laughs> so, so, like, how do, you, how do you hold a video for five months? I don't know. Anyway, that's all I had there. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings to a close what we found out and about in the wonderful world of uh, news and social. So, like we said, we just wanted to kind of quickly run through our 2023 F1 Digest. Um, we're just going to quickly give a review of the teams, the drivers, and what the calendar starts to look like. Not just the races, but what we see between now and then. And then, like I said at the beginning, a quick recap of what we've got coming uh, from rules. Rules changes slash rule tweaks, I think. I think some of these really are kind of looking at what happened in the new regs coming out last year. And they look to, I guess, fine-tune some things, address some loopholes. Um, and there's some really exciting stuff about um, fuel. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think the best place to start is uh, the grid, drivers and lineups. Let's do it. Let's do uh, it. Let's do it. Okay, we'll go in no particular order other than the order that I copied it down off the internet, which <laughs> is that uh, Red Bull remain unchanged. Max and Checo. Um, I'm going to throw this out there. How long does that stay like that? There's definitely yeah, some beef. It shows who he really is. Exactly. It shows who he really is. I'm going to throw this out there in a may not age well type of prediction, but... Checo to get let go mid-season and Danny nope. Rick to take the seat. I know you're trying to be kind of uh, fascinating and interesting with that. There's no way. Mm -hmm. No way. Um, if Danny, let's there. do this. All right, fine. Let's make a bet. You ready? No, I don't like the word bet, but go on. <laughs> All right, well, I mean, put your money where your mouth is and we're not going to do money. If Danny Rick is the driver at the end of the year, and I don't, like if Checo's injured, I mean, of course, Danny Rick gets in there, but I'm talking like the driver. By the last race of the year, I'll give you the entire calendar. So by Abu Dhabi, 2023, if Danny Rick is the Red Bull second seat driver, um, you want to bet on it? No, not really. I was just throwing it out there as a, <laughs> like I said, may not age well prediction. Oh, Why am I going to put money where, on something that I don't think will happen? Where are all your minerals? Um, <laughs> as they would say. Okay, so then Ferrari also remains unchanged. We have Charles Leclerc. I am stupid. And we have Carlos Sainz. Smooth operator. I don't have sounds for everybody, Rob. You don't have to worry. No, I, I was kind of hoping you did. Now, do we see Ferrari picking a, a defined number one this year, or do they go with that kind of net approach like they did last year where they just kind of decide to, on the day who's going to get preferential Great treatment? Question. I sort of assume they may leave it open to start, and then at some point through the year if someone's leading, 
um, and has you know a decent enough point differential, then they nominate that person as the as the number one driver. Question: We've, we've seen uh, we've seen teams do that down the year before, right. where but it just Ferrari last year just never picked a never horse, did. right? They right. Just, agreed. Uh, I think they have to, and I think if it's not by the summer break, then they've done it wrong. But I think they I think they have to give them a shot because Carlos is a hell of a driver. So yeah. And rounding out last year's top three, uh, and also remaining unchanged, are Mercedes, who have... Well, I'm hoping you've got some sounds here, but okay. You well, can do Lewis it, Lewis and... Lewis and... George! I can never get rid of the Alex Albon yelling, George. It's so good. <laughs> now, I don't have any... I have uh, no sounds here uh, for McLaren, where we have uh, Lando Norris, um, who I am been on record saying will finish within the top six... Uh, this coming year, and I'm excited to see what Lando does uh, with uh, fellow uh, former uh, an Australian replacing an Australian. Easy for me to say, uh, Oscar Piastri, uh, which was a lot of drama to get him in that seat. So I'm it, it was. It'd be interesting to see how Better that one goes because yeah. Norris now has to take the uh, maybe unfamiliar territory of being I wouldn't say elder statesman in the team because he's still a young guy, but he now obviously becomes the the, the lead driver. I think he has to. He's the number one driver now. He's got the experience. He's got the yeah, years behind oh, yeah. him. He's always been the the mentee to the mentor, and now he's going to be the other way around. So interesting dynamic at McLaren this year. I hope they both do really, really well. I hope um, so um, Alpine, the French connection, French team, French drivers, Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon. They don't seem to like each other. I'm excited to watch this thing go. Um, I hope they actually get along. Because Pierre seems like a fun kind of person. Esteban seems like a great dude. So if they can put whatever's behind him uh, in race, they could be pretty powerful as teammates, I think. I, I mean, if we really want to go for another Routlandish prediction here, I think it's all uh, it's all noise from the media. I think they're going to get on famously. I think they're going to get on so well. And they've done these various different videos with their respective teams in the past, especially eating challenges. But I predict they will give up F1 by the mid-season break and open a patisserie <laughs> in Paris. The two baguettes? Yeah. <laughs> Take that however you like. Uh, Aston Martin, Seb retired, filled by Fernando Alonso alongside team boss, owner's uh, son, Lance Stroll. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the size of mirrors in a, in a little bit, but I yeah. hope Lance learns how to use them. I'd love to know that is the best way to kind of just break the ice and put it all behind them. Like the very first time they met and got together as teammates, does Alonso just say, talk me through that? Like, Talk me through, like, why you launched me into the stratosphere. <laughs> How come Just... in America you cut across left at the last <laughs> second? Um, I, I honestly, like, I know we, we joke about strife amongst the teams. I do predict it may not be this year, 2023, but by the end of next year at the least, we will get one of these radios for, for Lance. There's no way we don't. Um, then we move on to Alfa Romeo. They fully changed their driver lineup last year, but then they fully retained it this year. So Valtteri and Joe get another crack at it, which I'm happy for. I thought there was a good dynamic between those two. Agreed. I thought they both did well. Yes. I thought that car looked quick. It just had reliability issues. And I think, was it Horner that said, I'd rather have a fast car that I have to make reliable than a reliable I have to try and make quick. So yeah, if they can spend some of the uh, off-season making that thing a bit more reliable, I think Alfa could be... I think. I don't want to go as far as saying I think Valtteri could get a podium, but I'd like to see uh, a couple more car, a couple more constructors get a, a foot on the podium this year because I think last year we had one. Was it McLaren? Yeah, it was, one just, of, it was McLaren. It was Lando, Emily. Yeah, Lando. The top so it'd be nice to see somebody else also take a, a step up there, and it'd be nice to see Valtteri do it. So. Well, if anyone's going to make it happen, they're just going to have to have the same breakfast every time. I had some porridge. For every race. Uh, Haas, we got K Mag joined by. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg. Um, I don't even know if I want to play the Hulkenberg. Oh, well, we'll do this one. Once again, most unsportive driver of the great my yeah. I'm telling you, like I, I, you guys could say I'm wrong, and it's going to be water under the bridge. People don't forget stuff like that. I'm sorry, they just don't. They're they're uh, going to leave together and make a pizzeria, and their <laughs> garlic balls that they're going to have uh, on the menu will be called that. <laughs> Suck my garlic balls, mate. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, can we just every race that Nico does something? Do I get, do I get to play this clip because I love it? <laughs> yes, you can. Thank you. Um, then we have a sad, sad, sad moment, but tinged with the happiness on the other side, especially for the American audience. So there is no more Gotifi in the sport this year. Williams have shown him the door. Uh, he tried to walk through it and crashed into it, but eventually they uh, put him through it. <laughs> I don't have a uh, crying sound. <laughs> So Alex Albon is going to get joined by uh, Logan Sargent, 
uh, the dude from Florida. So a lot of excitement about him joining the F1 brigade. And I think, uh, I think he'll get a good go. I just hope they give him a car that allows him to do well because I don't want him to flop and not just because of his, uh, I, I think he's got the talent, but I'm not sure he's got the car at the moment. Uh, they need to do a lot of work on that thing. A lot of work. They were by far the worst teams this year. And whenever Albon could drag it up to 10th, people were shocked or anywhere, you know, in the low teens. And that's why he was ranked one of the top 10 drivers of the year by the other drivers is because they knew he was driving a wheelbarrow and was making that thing great. A highlight of the year for me last year from Williams um, was when Albon didn't pit to the last lap in Australia. Yes. That was great. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was just so – for reasons I can't even explain, between just the weirdness of it happening – the people, the fact that VIPs were walking around on the, out of the paddock into the pits with the race still going, because who would be pitting on the last lap? Well, Albon has to get a new compound. Um, and then afterwards, he was with Lando, and they were on an interview, and Lando was shocked to hear that he'd made it that far without pitting. And then the last team's Alpha Tauri. Um, Nick DeVries joins Yuki on the team, and as Lando calls him... Yuki-san! <laughs> so we have uh, a good team. I actually, I'm curious to see Alpha Tauri. I really am. Like, this is one of my favorite teams to watch for next year, just out of curiosity, because um, it felt like at times Yuki was outperforming Pierre uh, last year, and Nick DeVries obviously was a star in his uh, moment at Williams. And so what can they do? I'm excited to see. Yeah, agree, agree. So those are the teams in the lineups. Um, other than the reveals coming through that we've already mentioned in the news, the next thing we'll be moving towards is uh, the testing window. Now, ahead of that, we've got the actual testing time and the development time that's been announced for 2023. Um, we've mentioned it before on here. They introduced, I think, last year or the year before, the kind of the sliding scale of depending on where you finish in the Constructors' Championship, you get a multiplier uh, applied to how much wind tunnel time you're going to be allowed to have. So it runs from... Um, 70% of the maximum allowed if you win the championship all the way down, well, all the way up to, I guess, 115% if you come in bang last. Um, when you throw Red Bull's uh, cost cap penalty on top, uh, they got a 10% reduction. Now, that's not meaning they drop from 70 to 60 because the 10% is applied to the 70, so they lose 7, so they're down to 63. And what that really means, and some of these stats... I looked into some of these things. I don't even really understand what all of it means, but it's a big deal. So if you just look at what Red Bull are going to have, if you look at just the number of runs that you're allowed in the wind tunnel, the top, uh, the 100% multiplier is 320. So when you take Red Bulls, they're going to be allowed to do, uh, well, I'm not quite sure how they'll manage this, but they're going to do 201.6 runs in the wind tunnel. So I think they might have to round uh, up or down there versus Williams are going to get 368 now, I don't know a lot about one tunnel times, but the number, beginning as the whole aero thing is such a big deal. That's a huge amount of difference in the number of runs they're going to be able to do. They also then do things like how long you've got the wind tunnel allowed to be on for and the uh, occupancy hours and all this kind of stuff. We can put the grid, uh, we'll put a link actually maybe in the show notes, the website we found it on. If, you, if you're interested in this side of stuff, it's, it's more than just the percentage headline is what I'm trying to get to. Some people will kind of go, oh, you know, they got 63% time. That's, that's nothing. It's not that much of a difference to say Williams with the 115%. And, and it is. And it even extends to what I didn't realize. And I don't really understand it other than it's magical computer stuff. But the um, computational fluid dynamics or CFD modeling uh, also comes under this allocation. So how long you're allowed to have basically supercomputers running programs to simulate all this stuff, it also comes under this headline as well. So you can't just say, well, okay, I'm not going to be allowed to have as much time in the wind tunnel because we got 63%. It's okay, I'll make up for it all on my uh, running on my PlayStation. Um, it's, it, this all comes under it as well. So actually it is a big deal. So I heard you talking, and the only thing I actually heard the whole time was this. <laughs> the dirty side trying to do I, science. I mean, I, I don't know, man. Great. You know more than me. I let cars go fast on track. Yeah, and what I'm saying is maybe, just maybe, uh, those ones at the end, Haas, Alpha Tauri, and Williams that get multipliers yep. bigger than 100, yep. um, if they can maximize that stuff, then then who knows? In who all seriousness, I am excited. I like this approach. I don't know about the penalty aspect for Red Bull. We don't have to get into that again. But I would say that it's going to take time, right? Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, we're overspending all the other teams two, three, four X the budgets for 20 years. And so for... The regulations, the cost cap, the wind tunnel approach, all these things to have an effect and, and regulate racing to a more 
sort of par- level of parody. It's not going to be, it wasn't in year one, ain't going to be in year two, but it's going to happen, I believe. So I'm, I'm happy they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All that's obviously going to culminate in the testing dates, which are uh, February 23rd to February 25th. Soon, that's uh, next month. Exactly. It's really not that far away before we're going to get cars on track yes. doing their thing. Um, that whole kind of poker game where like somebody sends out a car with some random piece on just to scare all the other teams. Saying, What's that? What have they done there? Um, Will Cadillac but, yeah. send out a massive you know, Cadillac logo on the front like they do on every car now? Just a huge gold. <laughs> Bullhorns on the front as well. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Bullhorns. It's like Boss Hog. We found a loophole where these are perfectly legal. Yeah, and um, they're just hitting the other car's gearboxes. <laughs> There's your, uh, uh, then we get the the we after that we'll run straight into uh, the start of the season. So March fifth we open up at Bahrain. Gonna quickly rattle through this and we'll say where one's missing in a minute. But essentially we're gonna go Bahrain, Saudi, Australia, Azerbaijan, Miami. Uh, the one I can't say in Italy, uh, which I'm gonna call Imola instead. Yeah. Monaco, Spain, Canada, where we will have Dirty Side on tour. Uh, Austria, uh, Silverstone, Hungary, Belgium, uh, Zandvoort, uh, Monza, Singapore, uh, Suzuka, Qatar, USA, uh, Kota, Mexico, uh, my favorite, Brazil. Then we will go Viva Las Vegas before wrapping it all up in uh, Abu Dhabi. So that's Vegas, what we've got to look baby, forward to. Vegas! <laughs> uh, It'll be here before you know it. Um, that's the place where I think we realize at the moment there's a big, like, four-week-sized hole in there is between yeah. Australia and Azerbaijan, where as of time of uh, recording, China is still off the calendar. It would have been in between those two. There's, uh, as we mentioned last week, I think, there's talks about with the COVID restrictions being eased in China, that they're kind of lobbying to get back in again. Can't imagine they would rip up the entire rest of the schedule. So the only place it feels like they could right. drop back into is where they were originally. So watch yeah. this space, I guess, on that. What are you most uh, excited for on that one, on the list, Brian? Going to Canada, are you nuts? I mean, obviously. I, I, same here, but I just wanted to test the, 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 the pull of the USA. So, you know, are, is the Vegas thing getting you excited or not? Uh, <clears throat> okay. I'll just be completely honest. I thought Miami was a bit of a dud. Last year, the track, the hype was great. And like the pregame ceremonies the night before and all that stuff was amazing. And the fake marina, uh, give me more, pump it in my veins, baby. But I thought the race itself was meh. And, Funny. Oh, go, go on, carry on. No, and I'm worried because it, let's be honest, it's a manufactured street circuit, right? It's, it's not a real course and it's not a real street circuit. I mean, yes, it's on streets, but they made most of these streets in a parking lot. And so I thought it could have been a little better. Um, now, and then, I... hold on, I'm going to finish. So Vegas really worries me. The upside-down pig, and it is an upside-down pig, has a great straight. Um, I, I've watched videos about people worried about the palm trees they're going to have to remove. I've watched the size of these grandstands they're going to build. We've talked about the million-dollar and now $5 million packages to watch this thing. I just want it to be a good race. And it's Saturday night here in the States. It's rare to get a Saturday night race. I cannot wait. And it will be a spectacle like Miami. And they will do it right. And it'll be amazing to watch. But will the racing be amazing? And I hope it is. So on that one, uh, and I'm with you. I agree with everything you just said. But then I kind of went back to look at it again because I was listening to a friend of the show, uh, Break F1, or a.k.a. Blake, um, and he was doing some kind of review of uh, pieces and parts of the season. And he was looking at Miami specifically to say, I think it was the fourth or the fifth race last year. And it, uh, its point went after it had run. I think it had had the most overtakes per race than any yeah. of the four that had gone before it. Uh, but so, it has the longest straight, and it's uh, all DRS. I'm True. willing to put money that most of those overtakes were on that straight. It's they, the they, longest straight in F1. They, they may well have been, right? Yeah. But if you're measuring some degree of uh, success of a race as to whether yeah, it generates I, overtaking opportunities, then... I'm not saying it was bad, bad. It wasn't no, like No, no, it wasn't Australia, Mexico, right? It was Mexico, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do think that it got judged a little harshly that if it hadn't been... I'm just going to say it. If it hadn't been America and it hadn't had the fake marina, and it hadn't had all the crap that went with the build-up around what people thought of that, if it had just been seen as a race and you didn't know where it was, it actually wasn't that bad a race. It, it just, was okay. I, it I just never stood a chance of the race overcoming 
the hype, which I also agree with you is a worry of me for Vegas. There's no Huge chance. <laughs> no chance. There are going to be showgirls on the side of the track. There's no way it can live so, up to the hype, but it has to be good. And I thought Miami was on the lower half of middling. I'm not saying it was bad, bad, but it was not great. And so, oh, no, I'd agree. It, it wasn't Paul Ricard, Mexico. It wasn't no. any of those kind of levels of bad. But it so also I think, wasn't, you know, like there's some solid it, mid-tier it, races that are fun to watch. I'd say Canada is, is a top half. Which fun I'm to watch. really looking forward to. So. Right. And so anyway, sorry. That's be my recap. No, no. I'm a little worried about Miami and Vegas. They got to deliver this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, Miami gets a chance now to deliver again just on the racing because everyone will be just, they know what's coming now. I don't think it will get too much of the hype train like it did last time around. Everyone's saving that. They're keeping their powder dry for Vegas this time. So. Which grid walk will be better, Miami or Vegas? Vegas, oh, right? My, I mean, Miami oh was gosh. epic, but what yeah. should we expect? What happens in Vegas? <laughs> we have to censor out nudity. This thing's going to be <laughs> chaos. <laughs> Okay, so the last thing we wanted to hit was kind of the rule changes that are coming this year. Um, mo- like I said, most of it's fine-tuning stuff, and a lot of it is really talking technical stuff that I don't fully understand, but we'll try to boil it down to what it kind of means for cars on track. So a couple of the first two pieces were to do with the aerodynamics and really to kind of get rid of uh, porpoising. So um, have you got that sound ready, Brian? Uh, I do. Ooh. I didn't realize we were still using it, though. Uh, well, you, can... you know, testing you. So um, the, the floor edges are going to get raised uh, 15 mil, which sounds nothing. But given that they, they wanted to raise it 25 and everybody pushed back and they compromised on 15, then obviously it is a huge deal. Um, and the plank itself, there was a big talk about this last year, this flexi plank thing that was flexing and allowing the car to settle down lower and blah, 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 blah. There's going to be some guidelines uh, with the maximum amount of flex for a plank in both up and down directions. I actually am curious about I mean, like, I don't have a lot to say on a lot of these, but on this one in particular, uh, it feels as though the teams that got it right on the ride height and the way the car worked with the ride height shouldn't be penalized. And I recognize 15 millimeters is not humongous. But they're doing this because of porpoising, and they're doing this because of the cars that couldn't get the ride height right and didn't want to go up higher. Mercedes could have gone higher and gotten rid of porpoising. They would have been slower, but they didn't. And so this is trying to, quote, save the drivers, and Lewis and his aching back in Azerbaijan. But come on, man. Like, if I'm a Red Bull fan and Red Bull got it right and they got Adrian Newey out here, you know, genius wizard of ground effect, and you rocked through the year because you knew what to do, now you're like negating a tiny little bit of that by making them ride higher up. You are, but if the spirit of all of these regulations is to try to achieve like the holy, right, F1, right, is not a spec series and right, never will be, IndyCar. thankfully, it's right? It's not a Delara chassis so, that everybody gets. Exactly, which we, we, we all want innovation in this sport. We all want to see certain teams doing things other teams don't do. However, we also don't want one team being able to innovate the hell out of their car and just winning everything because we all hate it when one constructor dominates, whether you're not liking Red Bull at the moment because they're successful or Mercedes or Ferrari. Whenever a constructor dominates, people don't like it. So you've got to try to tread this fine line between allowing teams to showcase their innovation but not allow them to then pull too far away the other. So I don't like this one for the reasons you said. However, I can also see that by doing it, you're kind of not allowing them to disappear too far and allowing the others to tighten up a bit. So it's being done in the spirit of closer racing, I think, with a, although like you said, in inverted commas, not that people can see it on the audio, but um, driver safety. I'm not quite sure that's the the big driver for this. But for me, if it it helps mean that the midfield and the back end don't drift further away, I'm I'm all for it. And if I don't have to hear Lewis do this again. My back is killing me as he's bouncing up and down. And then and then something that I didn't even realize um, there was such a, a, a throat. Uh, uh, it says, actually, did I, did I write this down? It says DRS throat. Do you reckon that should be diffuser throat? Um, I'm not sure. Anyway, there's some throat somewhere on the car that's being raised 10 millimeters to reduce sensitivity to ride height. So go figure. I imagine it's got something to do with the previous thing that we just talked about. But uh, yeah, there we go. I don't are. think anyone's going to confuse us with the Tech Heads podcast. <laughs> not, not at all. The roll hoop is being rounded more to reduce the chance of it digging into the ground, as we saw with Zhou Guan Yu's crash in uh, Silverstone, which was scary. So anything like that is great. I already joked, 50% larger surface on the mirrors to improve visibility. So maybe Lance Stroll will actually realize the mirrors are there. So, yeah, sorry. they, they sorry, said, um, because they said that they were all complaining that the new shape of the cars under the new regulations, they said had massively reduced visibility. So and, and, although we joke about Stroll, a lot of the drivers had said it. So do you know what? If this, um, 
it doesn't sound like much when you turn it into mill, but these these mirrors are going to be bigger and the drivers are all on board with it. If that prevents some of the stupid crashes where people don't see, see people come in, I'd rather... Right. If people are going to crash, I want to see them crash because of something beyond just stupidity of not seeing somebody come in. If we could get a current driver on, that might be a good question. Like, how much do you use the mirrors? I mean, it's not like you're going 200 miles an hour around a corner down to, you know, 180 and you're got a steering wheel with 400 buttons that you have to use every single one of them shifting strat and gear and mode and brake bias and and then you got to watch where you're going and check your mirrors i mean give me a break man yeah i mean i think they probably do use the mirrors i don't think they like they use the force or anything but well, uh... i'm sure they I, well, I mean i'm sure they use them when they're in when they're like starting the race but if you're just coasting along i mean i don't know I'd love to know because they're so small. You're going so fast. How much do you actually catch? True. You, is it like you see the blur of a car? Do you know there's someone there? Or can you see it and go, oh, that's Seb? Yeah, I'm not sure. Good question. So when we get our uh, – once all the drivers start lining up to come on, then uh, we'll ask each of them and they can all rank their uh, use of mirrors. We you about mirrors. <laughs> we'll have a mirror leaderboard, which will be the first time ever in F1 that such a leaderboard has existed. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, rear and front wings. Um Really just tighten up the regs here. Mercedes did something funky with their uh, front wing. They added extra bits. <laughs> We're definitely not the top tech head. Uh, they they add, added some extra stuff, which worked well for them, but apparently increased the outwash, so kind of throwing the air out from the car, which was really in direct violation of what last year was supposed to be all about, which was make the, the cars easier to follow. So... They've got rid of any of those like, fancy designs that can increase uh, the dirty air. And to kind of give them a little bit back because they're taking away, they've allowed them to adjust the wings a little bit more now. Again, really don't know what this means, but last year they could do 35 mil of adjustment and this year they can do 40. So I'm sure there's some wing adjusters out there that are doing cartwheels right now. Yeah, I want, agreed. And listening to you talk about some of these changes, I'd say it's a... a great success! The... Um... <laughs> Fuel temperature can now be a little cooler. So does everybody remember? I think it was Aston Martin, right? Who'd had the temperature too cold and they had to both start from the pit lane. And we did a dirty side investigation into Mike Crack's refrigerator and where he was putting all the gas at his house. Um, there's some changes to the fuel density. The fuel tank pressure are getting a relief valve fitted to <laughs> vent the gas. I'm glad you took these because I was like fuel density tolerance is being reduced and there's a valve going on the fuel tank i'm like mm, i'm going to be looking out for that and when the, when the car reveals come out i'm going to be looking for that revalve <laughs> there's a weight reduction minimum weights coming down a bit we have uh yes i do need to in the new year hit the the gym a little but also we have talked about the minimum weight of the driver and so it was we learned there's ballast put under their seats if they're under so Alex Albon no longer needs to have his appendix removed to try to make the car lighter, the crap wheelbarrow he was driving. And then I'll let you do the last one because I disagree with it a little bit. I'm confused by it at least. You're, you're confused by it? Did you, yeah. did, you, did you read the web uh, link that I gave you where they introduced it? You didn't, so tell, did tell you? Tell us about I, you know, it, I do this research. I, I slave away. I do this research. I give you the links and you don't... Don't even read it. But okay, so um, last year there was a, a big increase apparently. And I, thinking about it, I do uh, feel like I saw a lot more now, which is that there was a lot more cameras uh, put in, um, in, in and around the car. So we had a lot more angles. And they, they went down really, really well with TV audiences. Um, so they're going to, apparently there were six cameras that were being used. And now we're upping it to seven um, with a new driver's eye camera, which apparently is different to the one that is That's where my point. The visor cam or whatever we've yes. had. There's now there's now one that is going to be literally about an inch to the left of the driver's left eye. So embedded in the uh, with a picture of it we can share that I found on uh, motorsport.com, uh, which is which was being tested by Massa, which is literally almost in his eye. Yeah. Um, but they but, had yeah. the visor cam, which how is this that much different? I don't know. I guess we'll see when we when they roll it out. I mean, We've moved the camera three inches to the left and two inches down by putting it inside the driver's helmet as opposed to on the visor, and it'll make the angle so much different. Will it? And come come this time next year, they will have uh, worked out how to actually just kind of embed a camera in the driver's right. eyeball. <laughs> I was say right on his nose, like it's a booger hanging out into the camera. I mean, like. Yeah. Okay. If it works, great. I mean, I thought the visor cam was hard to follow because it was bouncing around so much. And it's a great reminder 
how amazing the human brain is and how much these drivers have to process as their car, forget the porpoising for a minute, as their car at these speeds goes over these bumps and they try to correctly hit an apex at 160 miles an hour uh, and navigate traffic and prepare for the next corner and the car is flying around up and down, left and right in the G's and they're able to do that? So that's one of the things that reinforced for me last year with the visor cam. So I'm curious to see the driver, the driver's eye camera from inside the helmet. But um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, and that's really kind of all we found as we I went through kind of a variety of different articles about the rule changes. So the kind of the good news is nothing like major for me. It's like we had last year, we had the new cars. We all agreed that overtaking and following was was better, um, and therefore they're not ripping anything up and throwing anything away. It's a lot of fine tuning, which fine tuning plus the extra testing time for the teams at the back. Um, you know I'm the eternal optimist, Brian, but I am hoping for even better and closer racing this year. I, I, I want to see that midfield rock back up. I don't want Williams just punting around at 10th uh, in the constructors for the entire season. And I'd love to see someone else in the top three, not just on the podium, but I'm going to go out there and say I want to see a different winner this year as well. Well, we, I mean, we've seen over the years when new regulations come in, um, it takes some time for everyone to come to grips with them. And so last year was the first year and certain teams didn't get it right. And we saw that. Now they have a chance to fix it. Um, and with the cost cap, I'm hoping it slows someone like Red Bull from running off into the distance and driving off into the sunset, which they would have done in years prior when they got it right the first year. The second year just is, is you know, domination on top of domination. However... Well, it allows you to double down on it, doesn't it? So, yeah, so now um, it's you, the cost cap kind of slows you a little bit from driving off into the sunset if you get it right year one. And maybe you can get it fixed in year two for cars like Williams. Um, like Alpha Tauri, um, you know, and even I would say Aston Martin. So the people who you thought would be better, McLaren. Um, I'm curious to see where they all come in this year. So I'm I'm excited as well. Do I think it, the midfield is going to catch up to what were the top two and became the top three? Maybe not. No, um, no. I just like to see I'd like to see a fourth car join join the party. If we if we extrapolate the performance of Mercedes towards the end of the season and say that they'd started to get it right and there's nothing in the tweaks to the regs that is going to derail that train, then you'd kind of say we should see more often than not a three way fight for uh, the lead or at least the podium, right? So Mercedes should join the party a lot more regularly and not just be oh look, there's uh, Red Bull and Ferrari way out of the front, and then because a couple of them don't finish, you know, George limps home in third, but really was never on the pace. I think we actually get to see, uh, hopefully, that if a fourth team, a fifth team can join the party there and be a little bit more present, that would be cool. Um, yeah, I think. I think the, the weird one for me, and we'll probably do this if we do a, a more of a predictions thing before the season starts, is, is Ferrari that they didn't have a bad car, they had a fast car, and actually most of the times they screwed up really came down to in you know self-inflicted stuff, right? So they haven't got much to fix, I don't think, from a kind of car perspective. Yes, there's maybe a little bit of a reliability thing around the engine. If we're led to believe they had to turn it down a little bit last year to in, in, uh, ensure the reliability, fine. But that really feels like an untapped gem that if they could just get that right. I'm Ferrari fanboying again here, aren't I? A little and, bit. And, being too, a little being bit. Too and I'm over here <laughs> trying to figure out how I've got Lando winning multiple races in my mind. I don't know. What happened to me? When did I become like chief Lando guy? I love him. But yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Uh, I would just say thanks to everybody for tuning in this week. Um, we have a handful of guests that we're lining up for the future. Not sure we'll have one in time for next week, but we are working on a Veil's Tales as well. So uh, can't wait to share that and future guests with you. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Two days away from F1 Winter Solstice. Yeah, which I didn't even know existed until you told me about it. So I made fantastic. it up. Did you? I did the math from the last race to the first race, and I then, found the okay, midpoint. Then you need to be like hashtagging it on Twitter and making I it will, ours, on right? Tuesday. Do it, do it. Everyone Just... listening now, Sunday, Monday, get a little head start because Tuesday, <laughs> hashtag F1 Winter Solstice. Um, on that, on that massive news, I think it's time to uh, put a pin in it, as they say, and uh, wrap that up for the week. So, like Brian said, uh, thanks for listening. Catch you next week. <laughs>